In the classroom, a great teacher is doing a lot more than teaching content. Cultivating bigger picture skills and strategies is critical. A lot of educators argue that these bigger picture skills are actually more important than the content itself. There's a sea of research around these big picture learning skills and figuring out which of them to teach, as well as how and when to introduce what's important can be daunting. For this, our guest today has created Synapse, a toolkit for helping teachers, learners, and now more than ever, parents understand and use some of these critical concepts in a highly accessible way. My name is Jason Gorman, and this is An Imperfect Map, a podcast in which we talk about ingenuity, education in the time of COVID-19. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Christine Marshall, she has a PhD in neurobiology and behavior from Columbia University, did her postdoc at Boston Children's Hospital, and currently is an instructor in biology at Phillips Andover Academy, Academy and has been a fellow there within the Tang Institute. Dr. Christine Marshall, welcome to An Imperfect Map. Thank you. So before we dive into all the particulars of Synapse um, and how the ideas behind it can help students who are learning from home, I'm really interested just to hear about your background and where the idea uh, for Synapse came from. Sure. Yeah. Gosh, it's been such a fun project. Um, as for my background, I'm a neuroscientist by training. And having made this shift to education full-time after grad school and a bit of postdoctoral training, I just naturally found myself responding to students' struggles by teaching them little bits and pieces about learning and memory um, in my classroom. So I would end up spending just a little time each week linking some fundamentals of neuroscience to practical study tips so kids could understand why they were being coached by their teachers to try different learning methods. And this went on pretty informally for a while. Then about six years ago, I um, found myself just frequently sharing lunch with one of my colleagues, Noah Rocklin, who was then a history teacher at Andover. And he and I would talk about our students like all teachers do. And we recognized that we're teaching many of the same kids each day, he and his U.S. history class and, and me in advanced biology. And we just started this wonderful collaboration, working to deliberately use common language with our students in an attempt to help them become aware of their learning approaches and dispositions, and then coaching them actively to shift their behaviors and their, importantly, their habits of mind so that they could become more nimble, experimental learners who would, um, A, use our feedback more effectively, and B, be able to reflect in a meaningful way on their progress. So, um, yeah, year in and year out, I just, we had both been seeing students kind of clinging to study habits that were no longer working so well for them, even, um, when they weren't making progress or succeeding as much as they would like, they, they seem stuck or frozen in their academic maturation and they would stay there until they would eventually let go and try something new. 
So we would talk um, most days about kids being humans and humans being creatures of habit and how we can all become tethered to habits. And in this case, they were tied to study methods that perhaps used to work for them, but were no longer effective because they had bumped up a grade level or entered a new stage in their education. And this happens a lot when kids transition to high school or go off to college. And it can it can really rattle them and make them feel a range of emotions. It can make them feel like imposters, like the teachers who told them they were smart were just gassing them up. Um, mm. When a student, you know, is in that kind of scary place, um, rather than trying new methods of learning or making meaning for themselves while they study, they typically will just hit the books harder and repeat the same ineffective approaches over and over, um, usually trying to memorize information rather than deeply understanding it. And this usually results in kids getting tired and overwhelmed. And as you're a parent, as parents and teachers both know, Nothing good happens when a young person is tired or overwhelmed. Um, so Noah and I really helped um, one another to begin to understand this powerful emotional landscape that needed to be addressed. And, um, you know, let's face it, experimentation when we're learning something new is really messy. And a lot of our kids are afraid to even start. Um Many of them worry their grades will suffer even more if they try something new or they don't know what else to try. So it inspired me to develop Synapse as a more formalized toolkit to help kids learn how to begin experimenting with new study strategies and offering them a very practical step-by-step -step instruction booklet for moving forward, particularly when they're confused, alone, or afraid. Um, often working on their own at home um, or working on something that's really pushing them outside their comfort zone. It sounds like, uh, so yes, I do have uh, two here at home and um, this sounds uh, very, very, very familiar. Um, I'm wondering if you might be able to talk about uh, synapses, uh, it's an acronym. Each each letter stands for something. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the seven elements within this um, Synapse uh, framework toolkit that you've put together. Sure. Um, you know, when they're collectively taken together, um, Synapse will help learners keep seven different fundamentals of learning and memory in mind. So... Collectively, they help them stay on task, work effectively, and have more fun along the way. Um, so if we break the acronym down into the seven elements of learning, the first one is to simplify or reduce a complex process to its most basic core elements. And this really encourages students to slow things down a bit, to start considering their learning environment and setting themselves up for success by eliminating distractions and distractions that steal their cognitive and attentional resources away from their learning can take myriad forms. So they might be irrelevant stimuli in their environment, such as the chirping of their phone or loud music playing or even just social activity around them. 
Um, distractions can also be unnecessary detail or complexity when they're first diving into a new topic. Um, so students really need a lot of support to learn how to manage their attention. Um, they also need support to learn how to extract the gist or the main idea of something super complex or detailed that they're learning. And so Simplify helps them establish a primary framework or scaffold in their mind before they start adding details bit by bit. And this helps them manage their cognitive load. So they develop a slower but more durable understanding of new topics without becoming overwhelmed or exhausted. So Simplify, the first element of learning, really sets up all the other steps of Synapse quite nicely. And then we move on to Y, which stands for yes. And I love the word yes. It's so affirmative and it reminds kids to activate their growth mindset. And it coaches them to become first aware of their mindset, their behaviors and habits that influence their learning. And it also, we use it to inform them about the nature of intelligence and that it grows with experience. And yes, challenges them to shape their own educational trajectory through things that work like deliberate practice. And that leads them to um, having more control over their behavior and modifying it if they feel that it should be updated in some way. Then we proceed to N, which stands for narrate. And that encourages students to take a systems approach to whatever they're learning and find the story. So this is one of my favorite steps because it's just so much fun. It places the students focus on relationships rather than facts. And it helps them find the stories that are unfolding. And in biology class, this means the actual dialogues that are occurring inside cells and organ systems and ecosystems. And they, it's a great opportunity for them to apply the elements of the narrative arc, which is something they're learning in English class, and discover key stages within these stories that exist within processes that they're learning. They usually start by identifying a cast of characters, which in my class are specific molecules that are driving change mm -hmm. in a cell. And then they add their own creativity and meaning by using metaphor and other literary tropes. Um, and it's become a really favorite engagement in our classroom. And so much so that former students and alums returning to campus will literally recap narratives that were shared in their classes years ago. Um, they remember the most vivid ones, usually those that employed some sort of metaphor about a dramatic teen social situation um, but that helped them clarify a topic that might have, you know, otherwise been relatively flat, like enzyme substrate interactions or antibiotic resistance. Um, and associate A is the next letter of synapse. And this coaches kids to continue um, relating what they're learning to what they already know. So this continues that systems approach. And it helps them um, keep moving away from focusing on learning facts. And it encourages them to form concept maps that will 
enable the development of cognitive bridging from one concept to the next or even one discipline to the next. Um, the students learn how to map out and visualize a graphic approach to what they're learning, um, one that particularly appreciates the connections and interrelationships in what we, what we learn. Um, I usually use associate to also teach kids about mental schema that exist in our brains that help us make efficient use or sense of our environment. And it shows them how to associate new information deliberately to these existing schema to expand and update their understanding of the world. Um, personalize is the P in synapse. And this is another super fun one. It's the social glue or the special sauce that makes synapse work as well as it does. Um, personalizing one's approach really opens kids up. Um, we use a series of structured reflections in which they explore their own character strengths and consider why specific study methods might be working well for them in particular. Perhaps creativity is a top character strength of theirs. And um, they learn that that would need to be employed for them to feel whole and to learn most authentically. It's important information for them to bring into learning challenges, especially ones that might push them in other ways outside their comfort zone. Um, it's also been a really important um, aspect of learning in my classroom to connect students to one another. Our school has worked really hard to attract and retain an intentionally diverse student body. So for us, it's so much more than just about assessing personalized learning plans. We, we set a time aside in class to consider personal relevance for each topic. Um, why what we're doing matters to each student as an individual or how or why it might remind them or directly impact their families or their communities. And this helps us recognize that we're not just a room full of cerebral cortices, but a room of people with personal <laughs> and cultural histories, right, that shape how we interpret information we're learning um, and that what and how we learn is directly impacted by the experiences we've already had. So when we connect on that vulnerable personal level, our students get to know one another and feel that they truly belong in their class. And it just personalized has helped us knit together um, these diverse kids into very inclusive, powerful learning communities that celebrate and capitalize on difference. And personalize is really where all the magic happens for us in Synapse, mm -hmm. which is why I call well, it special sauce. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, it strikes me that narrate, associate, and personalize, that there will be a lot of back and forth um, between these in particular, that, that when you build a strong narrative, it, it's going to probably allow you to make better associations and it might make it more clear how how things are personalized how or how things might might have personal relevance to a student is that is that been your experience oh absolutely there um i separate them so i can focus on different aspects of learning but they're so intertwined when the kids find the story in what they're learning mm -hmm. it's um 
usually reminding them of some story from their childhood that they've heard. Um, there are only so many different kinds of stories you can tell, right? There's the villain, there's the rom-com, there's the drama, the action adventure um, story. And so kids will naturally bring the personal stories they know to, um, to create uh, really useful metaphors to help them learn. Um, and it's, it's a great way of leveling the playing field because in an intentionally diverse community such as ours at Andover, we have kids coming from a lot of different types of communities and homes and schools. And some of them will feel um, unsure about maybe the type of school or type of schooling they've had before Andover. And what narrate and associate and particularly personalize does is it, it helps them realize that they have all been alive on the planet for roughly the same number of years. And they all have roughly the same number of schema in their brains that can be used as powerful learning file folders to accept new information. And um, it shows them that their experiences matter and that they can lean on them, whatever they've been um, before coming to our school um, and to use that as a, as a driver of their learning moving forward. Um, yeah. What just one, one other question about personalized in particular. Yep. I'm very interested, uh, you know, science, I think for somebody who's, who's new to a subject can be loaded with things that feel totally esoteric, completely, um, completely outside of something that, that, that feels as though it could have relevance in their lives. I, I would love to hear an example that's particularly memorable to you where a student was able to draw a connection to their personal life um, mm. uh, with a subject that, that maybe at first seemed just completely inaccessible to them. Right. Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, and some of them, since there are teenagers, um, sometimes they can get a little wild, right? And you think as the adult in the room, my goodness, um, where are we going with this? But um, there, so, okay, a great one is hydrophobic interactions. So I had um, a young teenager in the room that was trying to come up with a metaphor or a story to depict hydrophobic interactions. We were learning about proteins and different amino acids and how they all fit together to create a, a protein with a structure that could help it do a job. And so she came up with this um, kind of funny example of sassy teenage girls who, um, whose only bond was their mutual dislike of another girl. So real mean girl stuff, right? Like, I don't like her. Well, I don't like her either. So these two girls stick together, not because they have anything in common of value, but just because they have a mutual distaste for this other person. So they end up sitting together at lunch. And she explained that that was how she envisioned these um, hydrophobic 
um, amino acids sticking together just to exclude water. That was their only goal. And if, if they didn't have to work so hard to exclude water, they would probably fall apart. And that that was a weak, an example of a weak chemical bond. And I thought, okay, you're probably never going to forget what a hydrophobic interaction is. And so I'm okay with that. <laughs> that is that is so much better than anything I could have ever uh, hoped for oh. <laughs> as an answer. That's just fabulous. That's the beauty <laughs> of teaching teenagers. It it really it keeps us on our toes and it keeps us laughing and just appreciating their view of the world and um, understanding that. Sure, looking at little molecules or, you know, subcell yeah. structures can seem pretty irrelevant. So how can we make it fun and um, really interactive with them so that they're enjoying their, their process? That's marvelous. <laughs> so we've talked about um, the S is for simplify, the Y is for yes, the N is for narrate, A, associate, P, personalize, that leaves us with S and E. Mm, and those two kind of go together. So the last S is sleep. And my goodness, kids have a lot to say about why they are or aren't sleeping. And as I told you before, I run this large girls dormitory at Andover with a group of 40 10th, 11th and 12th graders, um, all who are super motivated to um, do really well and have active social lives and, you know, a full teenage life going on. And they've taught me a lot about teen sleep habits. Um, most of their sleep troubles tend to boil down to time management, um, FOMO or fear of missing out, and caffeine. So um, it's kids can learn what happens during sleep and how caffeine impacts the quality of their sleep and their mood and their athletic and academic progress. And, and that information might help some of them begin to hold themselves accountable, maybe taking baby steps with this awareness um, that may lead eventually to more durable behaviors. But it's, it's really difficult to convince someone to go to bed, it turns out, without direct enforcement. And ultimately, they're going to need to regulate their sleep for themselves in college. Um, and it can be maddening for sure to see a young person not offer themselves the sleep that you know they clearly need and to suffer from not getting it. Um, so I really struggled with sleep to find an aspect of it that would resonate with them. And what I found is that teaching them about consolidation, it may not change their sleep habits immediately, but it opens up a really useful dialogue about changing their study behaviors and when and how they schedule their studying. So discussing with them how specific study strategies like those in narrate and associate and personalize help them better tag information they're learning during their waking hours makes their new memories um, form that day more likely to be consolidated or stored securely in their brains while they sleep can be a game changer for some students. And it's, it's followed up nicely with the last aspect of learning exercise, which is the E in synapse. And so teaching them that 
the neural networks that house their memories need a workout or they'll fade away. And so similar to the need for exercising one's muscles to maintain um, a healthy muscle tone, I chose the word exercise deliberately because it, it seemed to make the most sense to kids. And it enabled me to use that um, comparison to physical exercise because they understand that they can't go to the gym once and expect to see lasting results. And a lot of them have done sports for years and they already accept that they'll need to exercise regularly over time and offer their body a recovery period between sessions to maximize the benefit of their workouts. So it's really unnecessary to go into the neuroplasticity of synaptic remodeling and how it all works on a cellular and molecular level. Instead, in very little time, students can learn just that neural networks in their brain grow stronger with repeated use, but they're dependent on an important recovery period to benefit from that workout. And that recovery can only take place during sleep. And so coaching them to study in a way that makes their memories more durable and long lasting, um, actively interrupting the process of their forgetting um, will only work if they take on the responsibility to space their studying out, like gym workouts across sleep-filled nights. And so kids will come away with an understanding of why they shouldn't cram all their learning of a topic into a single night's work. Um, and it's, it's really the why that matters with kids. They instinctively know they shouldn't be cramming, but they don't fully appreciate the cost. And once they understand that they'll likely forget most of the material they crammed, they can start to see that that's an inefficient way to go. And one that will ultimately increase their study time over the course of a term and decrease their free time and so aside from the health benefits that we'd love for them to appreciate about their sleep, as teenagers, the economics of the picture can be the most powerful incentive to change their behavior. It can take a really long time, to, <laughs> to, I would imagine, to consider all of the things that, that you know about, about learning um, and to create a kind of polished, concise, packaged, um, digestible presentation um, like you have with Synapse. I mean, this is uh, something that for a school-age learner, this is manageable, what you've put together. But the ideas themselves, probably if you were to list them out, might feel a little overwhelming to uh, to, to a lot of people, and, and especially uh high school age students. I'm curious, what was your process for um, putting it into the format that, that it's in now? Yeah, gosh, um, you know, that changed and grew so much over the years. There was a lot of iteration and experimentation with language. And I got a lot of feedback from my students that guided its development every step of the way. So after years of incorporating the science of learning um, in, into my classes in an informal way, I applied to be a fellow at the Tang Institute for Teaching and Learning. And 
this was again about six years ago, and it was a new organization that was being launched here at Andover. And as one of the first inaugural Tang Fellows, what I was given was summer support and even some course release time during the academic year, which I can tell you was worth its weight in gold. Um, and that helped me to have some dedicated time to finalize the design of Synapse. We worked with a graphic designer to make an explainer video that could distill the language into as concise and polished um, a version it could be. We made posters and some lesson plans. And the director of the Tang at the time, Caroline Nolan, um, was incredibly supportive. And she even contracted an educational psychologist to help me build a novel assessment tool for measuring synapse-related outcomes. And um, so it was a process, I guess. It took a lot of experimentation, but I feel lucky to have had the support and the time release as so many innovative teachers have great ideas from being practitioners of their craft and having the time to realize and operationalize these ideas is just, it's so important. Um, and in its most basic essence, I guess I wanted Synapse to be an intentional design for my students' learning. And I knew it would need to be really memorable, something that kids would understand um, and easily remember when they were working independently from home. So that was the real selling point, And it's been the real success of Synapse is that it offers kids um, skills that they can practice in the classroom with their teachers, but then most importantly, remember to use on their own when they need these skills the most. Um, so, you know, if we go back to those socio- emotional aspects of independent learning, we know that kids don't always feel great when they're struggling to comprehend information or make meaning for themselves. And as a community of educators, we've become much better at supporting a wide variety of kids and affirming each one. But we, we also want our kids to understand that some confusion and struggle are normal aspects of learning. And so what I designed Synapse to do was to affirm kids and also give them those practical tools for learning, even while they're experiencing some uncomfortable emotions. And so Synapse shows them what to do first, second, third, and specifically how they can walk through their confusion and start to construct meaning and claim some clarity for themselves when they're learning at home independently. And, um, since it's super adaptable, it's just kept growing. So we use it across our biology core classes now at Andover by different teachers to introduce some basics of memory and study skills. And I use it to frame an advanced elective for seniors called the Neurobiology of Learning, Memory, and Sleep. And kids just love to learn about the brain. And Synapse really offers a heuristic um, that covers the practical take-homes and it provides an inroad for them to explore more of the mechanistic science underlying um, learning and memory. Um, we now actually deploy seniors from my advanced elective as knowledge coaches to help ninth graders transitioning to Andover. And Synapse just provides a very handy common language for them to use when talking about learning process and study behaviors with these younger kids. 
So you have been at this for years. It's really quite a long time in the making. And um, all the, the care and thought that's that's gone into it. And then all of a sudden, the tidal wave of COVID-19 hit. And I'm sure just it must have changed everything for you and your students, just as it has for for everybody else. Um, I'm curious, what kinds of new challenges do you see for your students? Mm. And how have you used Synapse to meet some of the challenges that, that the new challenges that they're having now that maybe you couldn't have or never even dreamt of when you were working on this um, previously um, to help address some of those challenges? Yeah, sure. Gosh, it's just the, you know, we're a residential school. And so the vast majority of our kids come to live with us where their learning environment is fairly uniform. And so just the, now that they're all at home, scattered literally around the globe, we've had to adopt a mostly asynchronous approach to learning. And just the sheer range of learning environments and competing distractions that our students are experiencing um, has provided just such a variable range of um, issues for our kids to support them individually um, keeps us going in so many different directions. And now when they're at home all the time, they're trying to navigate school in addition to so many other things. Um, a lot of them have extra family responsibilities. They're suffering loss or experiencing grief. And that's all on the exhausting kind of constant burden of inequity and uncertainty that this pandemic has amplified. And as we were talking earlier before the call, there's the civil unrest and it's, it's really on us to help these kids focus however or whenever they can on their academics and to support them when they're simply not able to do it for all these reasons that are beyond their immediate control. Um, and so as they work at home without the constant support and scaffold of a school environment, they're, they're forced to develop even more agency as independent learners. So even the very best remote resources are only going to take students so far. And they need that solid skill set for building confidence and momentum when we're not there to help them with that. And, you know, Synapse was originally developed to support kids as they worked to, to build domain knowledge at night so we could flip the classroom and focus more on skill building and problem solving when we're all together. But now we're in a situation where it all feels a bit more like independent homework time. And so those skills are even more important as the kids do more work remotely and independently. And this spring, like all of us, we were working with kids um, who we had an ongoing relationship with. And so I was working with kids who'd been practicing their synapse, uh, synapse skill set all year. So it'll be a different experience come fall if we're doing remote classes with brand new students. And um, so 
it's hard to answer that question fully because it's all still unfolding. Um, We're leaning on the good work that the kids have done with Synapse all year. And it's, it's put them in a, in a, in a place where they have more agency and more self-awareness of their own learning. And that, that has helped them. That's great. And it really brings me to my, my last question, which is, um, you know, it just as a, as a parent, but also as an education professional who thinks a lot about how to blend together the, the, you know, the what, why, and how of learning to try to make sure that those things aren't necessarily separated out. I'm really curious to ask you, um, how do you think we might be able to effective, effectively embed the ideas and the strategies of Synapse into the learning process uh, itself? I mean, not just as, a, as, an, as an add-on, but perhaps as part of the normal way um, that we go about teaching and students go about, about learning, or the way as, as, as parents even at a, a bigger picture, we we are around when they're sleeping. <laughs> we are around when they're when they're doing all of these different things. So, you know, uh, it's really on us to set the the kind of bigger picture context for mm-hmm. wh- where their learning happens. How can we how can we not just layer synapse on top of everything? Is there a way? It, what recommendations would you have for for really kind of in, embedding it? into the the learning process. Yeah, gosh. um, We think about that a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. As an educator, I strongly believe that these study skills need to be formalized as a deliberate learning target. So when we use both formative and summative assessments to measure our kids' development of these skills, we further reinforce their development. And I tell my students and their parents pretty frequently that the biology content I'm teaching them is great, but it's basically a prop. What I want them to retain for the long haul is their learning skills. I want them to become experts in how they learn and to get better at assessing their own understanding and better at uncovering any illusions they may have about their own knowledge. So in biology class, for instance, we introduce the skills um, framed by Synapse and the kids practice them as an application of the scientific process. So they're applying the scientific method to questions in the lab. And in addition, we hold them accountable for applying it to their own learning process with homework assignments and formative assessments in class that measure their ability to do it. So for teachers working perhaps within a more structured curriculum, teachers who may not be in an independent school where let's face it, we have lots and lots of freedom um, to develop um, curriculum and to modify it to our own departmental goals. But for teachers working in other schools, Um, Synapse-based activities can be used as a 10-minute formative assessment. So, for instance, one quick activity we use in my classroom is called Tweet It. So it's based on the fundamentals of simplification, 
And it sort of grew from a classic formative assessment that helps kids extract gist from complex resources that they're navigating. So after students spend time exploring a particularly complex process in class, they'll spend five or 10 minutes writing a 100 word summary of what they just learned. And I challenge them sometimes to use as much scientific vocabulary in their summaries as they can. And other times I challenge them to use only non-scientific vocabulary to really see if they can um, transfer those ideas and demonstrate a deeper understanding. And then after that five or 10 minutes is over, um, I put them together um, so they can work with a partner. And then they're asked to distill those 100 word summaries and all the information into a 280 character tweet. And this time they're asked to use scientific language as concise and in as meaningful a way as possible. And then we have the students post their tweets on the board and we dissect each tweet as a full class and we point out the merits of each one. And that's something that can be woven in, in not a lot of time. Um, it breaks up some long period class periods where the kids might be working on an activity that, you know, times out for them. And at home for parents of younger students, you know, synapse can be even more adaptive. The last thing kids want, right, is to be drilled by their parents at night. <laughs> but as somebody who has a 13-year-old daughter, <laughs> I can attest that does not go over well. But yeah. some, some kids really need extra support when they're learning at home. And it's tricky for sure. But Synapse can help in a few ways. Um, first, it can help parents educate themselves about some ground rules they might set about time and places of study, as well as sleep habits. These are big things that get in the way of academic process um, and progress for a lot of kids. So parents can also use Synapse themselves to model fun, effective learning behaviors for their kids. Our kids are always watching us, always watching what we do, and they internalize our behaviors. So the little things we do or ask our kids to do can really transform homes into places where learning is always going on in one form or another and is celebrated rather than dreaded. Um, sometimes, for instance, I'll ask my daughter to give me a crash course in what she's learning and she'll give me the eye roll because she's 13, but she'll, but then I say, well, why don't you tell me the fun PG 13 movie version and pack in as much action and humor as you can. Um, and that may turn the tide a little, or I'll use a, a metaphor to explain something that she's wondering about. And that metaphor I use with her might include some specifics from our home or details that are unique to her upbringing. So she'll be more interested and invested in understanding what I'm explaining. So I think the power of Synapse is its adaptability and its memorability and um, I'm always super interested to hear back from other um, teachers and parents how they're using it in class because it helps me to see it with fresh eyes and um, appreciate it that much more. 
That's terrific. And it's just so clear that there's uh, there's so much more to learn here. I'm sure that, uh, you, I mean, you've, you've put so much time into it and I will make sure that um, I get uh, you know, list of freely available resources where, wherever they are that I put them in the show notes so people can can find these things and, and access them and continue to learn. I think that's that's really important. And I just so appreciate your putting um, all of your energy into creating this this really incredible resource um, and and being willing to to share it with a broader world is really um, exciting for me as a parent, exciting for me as an educator, and um, I just really want to thank you for for joining me on this podcast and for uh, for telling us uh, what this is all about. Thank you so much, Dr. Christine Marshall. Thank you for having me on. It's it's been a privilege. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our show. I want to thank Dr. Christine Marshall again for joining us. To learn more about Synapse and to get your hands on some resources, be sure to check out the links in the notes for this episode. My name is Jason Gorman. I'm the host of this podcast and the founder of Jackrabbit Learning Experience. If you have an idea for an episode, want to give feedback or anything else, send me a note at imperfectmap at jackrabbitlx.com. We have another episode in the works for next week. So until then, stay safe and keep inventing.